0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Good morning on a sunny uh, December the 16th from California. It hasn't been a great year, but things seem to be ending more encouragingly. Uh, Biden, of course, is now finalizing his team to focus on rebuilding America, particularly on the environmental front. Uh, last month, he announced that uh, John Kerry would coordinate his, his climate policy. Um, and uh, in the last few days, we've had uh, announcements uh, about his new team. Gina McCarthy will uh, be his domestic climate coordinator. Uh, Jen Granholm will be his uh, head of energy. And of course, Pete Buttigieg will lead his transportation department. The real question is what all this means in terms of overall climate policy, particularly when it comes to carbon neutrality. One of the people who's really uh, the world's authority on on carbon is the guest on my show today, Chris Godall. He is the author of What We Need to Do Now, uh, and someone who's been very focused on a zero carbon future. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome to Keen On, uh, in spite of all our technical issues, we have you now from Oxford, the United Kingdom. Are you encouraged, as I am, by uh, these early shoots of, of Biden's climate policy?
1: I think you couldn't but be encouraged, actually. This is a mixture of practical working politicians who understand how the system works. With, as it were, climate idealists, people who put climate as the number one domestic issue uh, for the US and indeed for the rest of the world. So, yeah, this is this is this is very good. This is going to improve the atmosphere and the discussions leading up to the next meeting of the Conference of the Parties in Glasgow uh, next um, December or November, December
0: uh improving improving the atmosphere is of course what you write about what we need to do for a, a zero carbon future it was one of the uh, the financial times books of the year it comes in part from your wonderful blog carbon commentary and i you came across my radar with uh, a really very concise and convincing nine point plan for the uk to in- achieve net zero carbon emissions a crisp Outline your book, what do we need to do to go carbon neutral?
1: The point, the, the key point in the book uh, to begin with is to say that it's not just about generating electricity. Yes, we need to decarbonize the production of our electric power. And that's happened very effectively in this country. And it's happening as well in the United States. We're moving away from fossil fuels. But what we have done very little on is making progress in the many other sectors of our economy, of our consumption patterns, which are now far more important in the United Kingdom and in some other countries for the total amount of greenhouse gases that we produce than electricity production. So what I was trying to suggest in the book is there has to be some form of integrated plan right across the board from electricity production through to things like agriculture, Food production, forestry. Yeah, you've got them.
0: I've got, got the, your nine-point plan, the good yeah. old plan to fix the universe.
1: Well, yeah, and the, the the book deals in outline. This is a short book aimed at a general audience. The book deals in outline with the major sources of emissions and what we can do in each of these cases. Very well, briefly,
0: we, Chris, then go through these 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 points: energy, batteries, utilities. Yeah. Um, for people I, I, that's listening, we have a, a screen with with Chris's nine point plan. Right. Um, I,
1: I won't follow that plan exactly. What I wanted to, to say to begin with is that what the world needs to do, both the United Kingdom and everywhere else, is to overinvest in renewable electricity. We need to turn everything that can be uh, uh, that can use electricity to using electricity as quickly as possible whether it's um, whether it's things like electric vehicles or indeed steel production. Now, when we do that, we'll have so much electricity that much of the time we will have too much. And what we second thing
0: we need to do uh, and, to and jump, I jump in here, Chris, hmm? and, and excuse my ignorance here, but there are people who argue that electricity is is no cleaner than coal, that it, it, it in itself creates pollution that it it wrecks the universe what's your response to
1: that we move completely away from fossil fuels in electricity generation to renewables Uh, it depends the balance of renewables will depend on where you are what latitude you are here in in the united kingdom we are investing heavily correctly in offshore wind in many parts of the united states such as where you are andrew it's more logical to invest invest in solar power but we all almost everybody in the world all eight seven, eight billion of us are living in areas where there is reasonable access to renewable energy of one form or another, with the exception of a few hundred million people. So we can make the transaction to an electric system that's entirely based upon renewables.
0: Does this this, uh, approach to renewables, does it fix the whole problem? We've had a lot of shows about the environment. We had Jason Hickel uh, earlier this week. uh, one of your English colleagues, I'm not sure if you're in the same camp I think you're on the same broad camp, but in some ways you probably disagree. He, his argument is less is more that we have to fundamentally change capitalism or indeed even move away from capitalism. Right. Does your solution, Chris, what we need to do now in terms of zero carbon futures, does it require fundamental reform of capitalism or can it be done within the current market infrastructure?
1: Look, uh, there's a difference here, Andrew, between markets and capitalism as it's currently evolved. We have got a deeply destructive, uh, in almost every sense, version of, of capitalism which has mutated over the last 40 years from a, a properly market-orientated system. Now, <clears throat> obviously, climate change issues are very closely related to political issues. At the, and what we're seeing unfortunately, is a capturing by the political left of the main thrust of of, of of climate change. That is to say, in the United States, radical action on climate change is to some extent associated with the far left of the progressive movement, led of course by um, AOC. Now, I have every sympathy for everything that she says, but, we have to make action on
0: the part that's important, Chris, here. When when you say that, I'm 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 expecting you to basically say that you don't agree with AOC and that camp on the no. Green New Deal. By the way,
1: Kate Aronoff
0: on the let, let me just finish Kate Aronoff on the show and a New Republic journalist who who is very much in favor of the Green New Deal. Anyway, go on, sorry.
1: What I think, what anybody thinks individually, is not necessarily that that important. I find her political prescriptions incredibly attractive. But she sits on the far left of the American political spectrum. In order for us to do something about climate change worldwide, we have to make this climate change an issue which is grabbed hold of by the political centre. And e- even in very divided countries like Great Britain and the United States, there still is a political centre. And without moving climate change to, the, to uh, a, a centrist position, we're not going to get the consensus on the actions that we need to take. So what I think about AOC and the Green New Deal, and, uh, uh, both, both in the United States and where it originated here in the UK, isn't really relevant. We have to make sure that the actions we're proposing on climate change are broadly politically acceptable to the rump, to the large bulk of people who sit in the political centre.
0: That's a really interesting, provocative uh, position, Chris. Uh, Do you think we need to politicise the environment more? We had the French economist and environmentalist Lucas Chancel on the the show uh, earlier this month with his new book, Unsustainable Inequalities, that linked social justice very intimately with the environment. Does the environment need to be included in that basket of political concerns? After all, just as many people are concerned with the environment, they're also concerned with the increasing inequalities between a a tiny aristocratic class of of the, the global wealthy and the rest of us.
1: Yeah, indeed. So in in my book, I try to make the point, without dragging politics into it too much, that everything, to be successful, actions on climate change absolutely need to restore some semblance of social equality to our societies. Um, you know, both the United Kingdom and the United States have fractured, unequal, malfunctioning societies states that are no longer capable of taking action across a wide a wide spectrum of activity. If we are going to get climate change to the top of the political agenda, we can only do so if it's become supported by, uh, as I've said, the bulk, the center of the political argument, not just by people who, who sit on the extreme left.
0: How do we do that, Chris? Uh, we had uh, Mauro Guilén on the show, The Futurist, imagining the world in 2030. And of course, for many environmentalists, if things don't change by 2030, we have a very dark, almost uh, apocalyptic uh, image. We had Aaron Brokovich on the show, very well-known environmental activist, who describes Cape Town, Year Zero, the end of water by then. How? How yeah. dark do we need to paint a picture unless the environment yeah. is addressed?
1: Don't, don't try and make it, paint it too dark. Because if, if you make it seem hopeless, people give, people give up. Why should we bother doing something about this? The, the, the really encouraging thing that's happened in the nine months since my book was published is all of a sudden this has moved, this issue has moved to the top of the agenda of many large actors in our modern economy. We may think that Amazon has a generally destructive role uh, wherever we are, but nevertheless, it's an extraordinary example of a company that was resisting doing anything on climate change uh, a year ago, and and now sits as one of the principal uh, movers, the the instigators of rapid change uh, in corporate attitudes in America and elsewhere. So I, I think, as I say, there are enormous reasons for optimism. We're in a desperately difficult situation, but with the help of large corporations, we will be able to move faster than we have ever done in the
0: past. We had the uh, French economist, uh, uh, the historian of the environment, Thomas Leroux on the show a a month ago talking about his new book, The Contamination of the Earth. He divides history up into two periods and he said that we are charging headlong into the abyss after 73. Do you think that narrative is fair? Are things really as bad as as people like LaRue point out?
1: Um, I think I would probably be slightly less extreme in that opinion. But on every index, pretty much, things have got dramatically worse in the last 20 years. Yes. Biodiversity, soil quality, soil carbon ocean health blah 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 the list the list goes on Um, and all of them are to some extent linked by climate change it's the burning of fossil fuels the overwhelming of our ecological systems which is doing this but as i say i getting people to say to themselves yes things are desperate therefore we will act fast isn't actually the way that change occurs in human society in my view Um, the way to get things happen is to say ah if we take climate change seriously, we can build a better world and not worry too much about, not, not stress too much that if we don't, we are in hellhole.
0: Yeah, I think that's a nice way of putting it. And I think books are important. Chris, before this show, you said to me, why am I on Lit Hub? You know, I thought you only did uh, literary books, but of course, books about the environment are critical. We've had all sorts yeah. of books on the show yeah. about yeah. the environment, some more literary than others. We had the, the, the teenage activist, the anti-plastic activist, Hannah Tester, on the show recently. Uh, and she quoted Robert Swan, the Arctic adventurer, he, he, his quote when he said, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will, will save it. What is the role of ordinary people, Chris, in all this stuff? I mean, people who, who for better or worse, can't write the kind of book yeah, you write it, it, and uh, who don't have your political heft.
1: Um, well, I, I have no political heft, but but.
0: but well, you're on my show.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I mean, I have made attempts to get involved in British politics and uh, have been rebuffed. But you're by an the
0: influencer. Letter. You have books. You have your your blog. You write for the Guardian. You you, you have a voice, but for, for yeah, people, I have
1: a voice. Right, you that's don't, not, yeah. have Your
0: voice, for better or uh, worse. That,
1: that's not he- that's not that's not heft in the way that I understand. it. Well, it's I'm
0: intellectual maybe, heft, maybe. Intellect,
1: right, okay. All right. I'll I'll accept that. Your 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 kind compliment there. Um. Uh right, well, what individual people to do should do, in my opinion, is live the life that you think we all should lead. Uh, so that means being a, a good climate activist, take, taking all the measures that you think you should take in order to Im- improve um, the position on greenhouse gas emissions, for example, and backing those political parties, those social groupings, whether they be the the local community recycling organisation or whatever, or general national movements to move climate change and all the related ecological environmental issues absolutely to the front of the political agenda.
0: Tester, um, Hannah Tester has her her five Rs refuse, reuse, reduce, recycle, raise awareness. Mm. What do you think of that? strategy there is there is there a, is there a um, missing are there or, or does that pretty much cover it
1: um yeah i think re- refuse is the interesting one isn't it we we, we need to, to be good environmental citizens we need to make a decision not to consume or, or or not to take actions which result in large-scale emissions but look i've been writing books in this area for for well, 13 years pretty much now and i continue to feel that that's often a very difficult decision for people to take for example air travel the uk is the by per hair the greatest polluter of the atmosphere because of air travel in the world we travel abroad a lot by air Um, we are are, the percentage of our emissions that um, come from aviation is dramatically higher than the world average getting people to say no i'm not going to go on holiday by air to the south of spain involves a very difficult decision for people to take and forcing them into do into doing that is tending to reduce the acceptability of environmental initiatives so we, we we have to be we have to accept that there are many aspects of modern life which people find extremely attractive very difficult to say to them no you're going to have to stop doing that i'm afraid
0: and you're in terms of your 9 point plan uh flying is number 8 is that politically the the, the the trickiest what about motoring you you in america we say driving
1: uh well, we, we we've seen an astonishing rise in the percentage of cars in most countries around the world not the united states that are electrically powered this year it's roughly tripled the the, the figures for november 2020 are roughly triple the percentage market share for um uh, electric cars in Europe compared to um, November 2019 to give an illustration of this. This is a revolution that is proving, that is is unstoppable and is it's accelerating, no question about it. Now, building an electric car, making an electric car in the first place also involves a lot of emissions. So it's not good enough just to move, for us all to move to electric cars. We need to improve public transport. We need to reduce the amount of, of movement around that we do. But as I said, This is very, very difficult to get through politically and needs to be handled with extreme care.
0: Chris, you're in the UK and Oxford. Uh, I'm in California. Uh, Are the Americans particularly bad on this front in terms of stopping flying, stopping driving? Or do you see the same opportunities and challenges and problems in Europe and the United States when it comes to a zero-carbon future?
1: You've got... A long way to go compared, to, even in California, to European countries, not particularly the UK. The UK is not a hero in any of this, but Northern European countries have changed many things about the way their economy, their society operates. Uh, so I don't wish to be disrespectful to the United States. Oh, but well, no,
0: feel free. I'm always disrespectful.
1: <laughs> um, but the unsustainability the excess consumption of goods of material goods in the united states means that the climate change problem is even further away from being solved than it is in the united kingdom
0: and what then in in terms of biden's policy we began there let's end there what in particular would you like to see kerry and buddhigich and the rest of the team focus on
1: well it's probably an impossible dream but i would like to see a global carbon tax that is to say all goods produced with with carbon emissions as a result need to have a tax imposed upon them which reflects their environmental cost and i think this new administration might just be be interested in doing that certainly janet yellen has mentioned it in the past the the new the the incoming treasury secretary so there is hope, that, and the reason that's important is that if we don't have a global carbon tax, that is to say a uniform tax which is imposed around the world, there will always be accusations that, that individual countries are cheating and benefiting, they are exporting goods and so, goods which have a high carbon input, which is not properly taxed there. So, but I think there, it's, it's possible to imagine within the next two or three years The United States and China agreeing that this might be the right way forward. And that will pull the European Union, which won't be particularly interested in this, into line. So this is something which you can't get people excited about. And carbon taxation has had a difficult, short life so far. But nevertheless, it's absolutely vital to the creation of a world in which environmental bads are properly accounted for.
0: Well, and the carbon tax is your ninth in your nine-point plan. Essential reading, what we need to do now on uh, one of the best books of the year, certainly when it comes to the environment. Uh, Chris, as you said, uh, you've written a number of books about the environment, uh, 10 Technologies to Save the World, Sustainability, How to Live a Low-Carbon Life so you're all too familiar with books about the environment. In addition to your books in these strange times, as we're all stuck inside at the end of 2020, mm-hmm. what else should people be reading to make sense of the challenges and opportunities of uh, of mm-hmm. our current environmental crisis?
1: Well, I, I come from a background in economics. I, I was um, partly taught in the United States, and I think that economists have made a very bad job generally about dealing with cl- climate change and it, the, the, the problems that arise from a fractured, from a fractured society. And uh, I'm enjoying at the moment reading the book um, by Esther Duflo and her husband, Professor um, Banerjee entitled Good Economics for Hard Times, you put on, on your screen there which is a a wonderfully learned attempt to try and bring real empirical lessons about what's going on, what really works in economics, what helps rebuild societies um, to a wider audience. It's exactly the sort of economics which I think we need applied across um, sectors, including um, climate change. And then I'm enjoying enormously at the same time, slowly, because I'm not French, but I can just about read it. A book by um, uh, jointly authored by the former French Environment Minister Nicolas Hulot and a colleague Frédéric Lenoir called D'un Monde à l'autre, to one, wo- one world to another where they look at the philosophical basis for the kind of struggle that people as activists in the climate movement are, are facing. What are we actually trying to do? What do we have to change about the way human society works? What is the best way of rebuilding a society which appears to function properly at uh, all or- and gives people decent standards of living, but doesn't cause overconsumption uh, as a, as a congenital illness within it?
0: Well, that's the first time we've had a, a book in French recommended. The French French economists we've had a number of them on the show talking about the environment. It's nice to balance that with a one of Britain's leading authorities, Chris Goodall, the author of What We Need to Now, What We Need to Do Now, uh, a manifesto, a short, sharp, smart manifesto about addressing our carbon crisis. Chris, I want to thank you for, for for coming on the show, and I want to wish you a much healthier and happier 2021 thank you so much thank you,
1: andrew. thank you very much indeed
0: you've been listening to keynote hosted by me andrew key make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.